Chapter Ten, Part Two of Shadow of the North. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Shadow of the North by Joseph A. Altscheller. Chapter Ten: The Port, Part Two. The long supper, which was in truth dinner, was finished at last. Hardy made good his boast, proving that he was a mighty trencherman. Pillsbury pressed him closest, and the others, although they did well, lingered at some distance in the rear. Afterward they walked into town, observing its very life, and at a late hour returned to Hardy's house, which he called a mansion. Robert and Tioga were assigned to a room on the second floor, and young Lennox again noted the numerous evidences of opulence. The furniture was mostly of carved mahogany, and every room contained articles of value from distant lands. Tayuga, said Robert, what do you think of it all? I think that the man Hardy is shrewd, Dayogoya, shrewd like one of our sachems, and that he has an interest in you, greater than he would let you see. Do you remember him, Lennox? No, I can't recall him, Tayoga. I've heard Dave speak of him many times, but whenever we were in New York before, he was away, and he did not even come to his house. But he and Dave are friends of many years. I think that long ago they must have been much together. Surely there is some mystery here, but it can wait in its proper time. The unknown becomes the known. So it does, Tayoga, and I shall not vex my mind about the matter. Just now, what I wish most of all is sleep. I wish it too, Lennox. But Robert did not sleep well, his nerves being attuned more highly than he had realized. Some of the talk that had passed between Willet and Hardy related obviously to himself, and in the quiet of the room it came back to him. He had not slept more than an hour when he awoke, and being unable to go to sleep again, sat up in bed. Tayoga was deep in slumber, and Robert left the bed and went to the window, the shutter which was not closed. It was a curious, round window like a huge porthole, but the glass was clear and he had a good view of the street. He saw one or two sailors swaying rather more than the customary motion of a ship pass by, and then a watchman carrying a club in one hand and a lantern in another, and blowing his frosty breath upon his thick brown beard, indicating that the night, although bright, was very cold. He looked through the glass at least a half an hour, and then turned back to the bed. But he found himself less inclined than ever to sleep. Throwing his coat over his shoulders, he opened the unlocked door and went into the hall, intending to walk back and forth a little, believing that the easy exercise would induce desire for sleep. But he was surprised to find a thread of light in the dusk of the hall, at a time when he was quite sure everybody in the house except himself was buried in slumber, and when he traced it, he found it came from another room further down. It was, upon the instant, his belief that robbers had entered. There must be reckless and desperate men who would hesitate at no risk for crime. He moved cautiously along the hall, until he reached the door which showed the light. It was about six inches, not allowing a look into the room except at the imminent risk of discovery. But by placing his ear at the sill, he would be able to hear the footsteps of men if they were moving within. 
The sound of the voices instead came to him, and as he listened he was able to note that it was two men talking in low tones. Undoubtedly they were robbers, who were common in all great hounds in those days, and this must be a chamber in which Master Hardy kept many valuables. Doubtless they were assured that everybody was in deep slumber, or they would be more cautious. Driven by an intense curiosity, Robert edged his head in a little further. He was able to look into the room where, to his intense amazement, he saw no Roberts at all, but Willard and Master Hardy, seated at a small table opposite each other, with a candle, account books, and papers between. Hardy had been reading a paper and stopping at intervals to talk about it with the hunter. As you see, Dave, he said, the list of ships is three larger than it was five years ago. One was lost to the Barbary Corsairs, another was wrecked on the coast of Brazil, but we have five new ones. Oh, you have done well, Benjamin, but I knew you would, said the hunter. Oh, with the help of Jonathan, don't forget him, David, in my name he is my head clerk, and he pretends to serve me, but at times I think he is my master, a shrewd Massachusetts man, David, uncommonly shrewd and loyal, too. And the lands, Benjamin? They're in abeyance and are likely to be for some years, their title depending upon the course of events which are now in train. And they're uncertain, Benjamin, as uncertain as the winds. But give me your honest opinion of the lad, Benjamin. Have I done well with him? None could have done better. He's an eagle, David. I mark him well. Spirit, imagination, forth, youth, and honesty looking out of his eyes. But you have no fears, David, that you will get him killed in the wars? I could not keep him from going to them if I would, Benjamin. There my power stops. Oh, you old sailors have superstitions or beliefs, and I, a landsman, have a conviction too. The invisible prophets tell me that he will not be killed. Well, I don't laugh at such things, David. The greatness and loneliness of the sea does breed superstition in mariners. I know there is no such thing as the supernatural, and yet I am swayed at times by the unknown. At least I will watch over him as best I can, and he has uncommon skill in taking care of himself. Roberts will triumph over a curiosity that was intense and burning. He turned away. He knew that they were speaking of him, and he seemed to be connected with great affairs. It was enough to stir the most apathetic youth, and he was just the opposite. It required the utmost exertion of a very strong mind to pull himself from the door, and then to drag his unwilling feet along the hall. Matter was in complete rebellion, and mind was compelled to win its triumph, unaided. But when it did, and kept the victory, he reached his own room and softly closed the door behind him. Ayoga was still sleeping soundly. Robert went again to the window. His eyes were turned toward the street, but he did not see anything there because he was looking inward. He talked to Willard, and Hardy came back to him. He could say it over, every word, and none could deny that it was charged with significance. But he knew intuitively that neither of them would answer a single one of his questions, and he must wait for time and circumstance to disclose the truth. Nor could he bear to tell them that he had been listening at the door, despite the fact that he had been brought about by accident, and that he had come away when he might have heard more. Having resigned himself to necessity, he went back to bed, and now, youth triumphing over excitement, he soon slept. The next morning, directly after breakfast, the three elders and the two lads went to the Royal Exchange, 
where there was soon a great concourse of merchants, clerks, and seafaring men. Master Hardy was received with great respect, and many congratulations were given to him when he told the story of Good Hope and Captain Dunbar. In one of the rooms above the pillars he met another captain of his who had arrived the day before at New York itself. This captain, a New England man, Eliphat Simmons, had brought his schooner from the Mediterranean, and he told in a manner as brief and dry as his own log how he outsailed one robbery corsair by day, and by changing his course had tricked another in the night. But the voyage had been most profitable, and Master Jonathan duly entered the amount of gain in an account book, with a reward of ten pounds to Captain Simmons, five pounds to the first mate, three pounds to the second mate, and one pound to every member of the crew for their bravery and seamanship. Captain Simmons' thanks were as brief and dry as his report, for Robert saw his eyes glisten, and he knew that he was not lacking in gratitude. After the business was settled and the rewards adjusted, they adjourned to a coffee-house near Hanover Square.